why before the what? And uh, I've had a, a very specific scripture on my heart for weeks now, and I'm going to ask you to turn to it in Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, verse 28. And I just sense God wanting to melt our hearts a little bit as a church. And the great thing about summits is it, it gets us focused uh, and so what is the most important thing? Isn't it wonderful? Who of you here are mountain climbers? Any of you ever summited something before? I climbed the coxcomb in, in, in the Eastern Cape. And when you get to the top, it's amazing how clear everything is, right? And that's what we want to do this morning. We want to sense what God is doing in terms of pulling us up as a church so that when we gaze upon the year, we are focused and we are ready in understanding the main thing. And this is what I feel God is saying to us as a church in terms of preparing our hearts for the what he wants us to do this year. So I'd like to read from Mark chapter 12, verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that Jesus answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Which commandment, SPC, is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O SPC, The Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. I'm going to stop there. And I, I want us to let what Jesus said to us this morning sink into our hearts before we look at our hands. And in this command, what I love about Jesus is when you read your Bible, he can summarize everything into one sentence, and then he can unpack it in the Sermon on the Mount, which will take you a lifetime to apply in detail. Not so? And I sense what God is doing for us this morning is he wants us to hit the bullseye. And if, you, if, if you've played darts before, you'll notice that in that bullseye, if you hit the bullseye, everything else is connected to it, Right? So all the segments flow from the center. And in a sense, I feel God saying, guys, if we go for this, it will inform all the rest. And it will help us work out all the rest in detail. And so it's very simple this morning. What I feel God saying to us as we are going to apply what he's telling us to do is the thing that he wants us to hit is this thing of this command. And it's a command to his church, to the world. We're going to look at just a moment of centering our lives, every aspect of our lives, around one thing. It's the greatest command, and it is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because you're going to see in a moment how if this is our focus and our mandate, it informs and shapes everything else. Now, I'm sure many of you have heard this verse before, and as a preacher, I'm aware that familiarity breeds contempt, Right? When you hear this, I could recite this from a young age, and I just want to point out to you, this command is not new. 
This scribe's talking about the law of Moses, and he's saying, what's the most important command within the law? That was what was important for the Jews, God's people under the law. They were going, what is the thing that we have to do that's the most important thing for God? But this command, it is more ancient than time itself. I want to say to you this morning, SBC, the weight of this command is, when God created the first angel, the command to those angels was, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the reason why Lucifer and a third of the angels fell was because they broke that command. In the Garden of Eden, it was echoed throughout creation. He said to Adam and Eve, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the transgression of that, and then choosing to disobey him, we know the story. That breaking of that command, this ancient command, led to where we are now, fallen in sin. And so this command is something that is not new through Moses. It is something that has come to creation from the very moment God decided to breathe things into being. And it is massive. It's mighty. And it's awesome. And I want to just remind you again of who is giving the command. You see, what happens is when we read it from a book, we forget who's speaking, right? And can I say today, the one who sent out this command into all of creation, he is the creator. He is the one who made it all. And when he says, I command it, he can, he can demand it because all of this is his. Can I tell you what the Lord said to me in preparing this morning? The difficulty we face as 21st century human beings and Christians is this attack upon the Creator. Through atheism, if you've been to our Tough Questions series, you would have heard a bit about it. What it has done is, it has undermined our memory of who has really made us. Now that is very significant because what we do is, as 21st century South Africans, and as Christians, we don't realize how much this has influenced us. We live as though we have no creator. We live as though we're doing a favor to the one whom we kind of include in our lives, not really understanding that our entire life is totally 100% under his command and authority. Are you with me? And what we have today, and I just want to caution us this morning as we come to this command, I had to caution my own heart, is we are having the pot saying to the potter, you're going to do this for me. Or you're going to design this for me. Or you're going to do it my way. Where God is saying, SBC, you need to know that when Jesus, my son, says what is the greatest command on his own authority, he is saying that your creator, your God who made you and you are made for him is saying, you belong to him, and he owns every aspect of your life. This is not optional. And the, the fourth thing I want to point out as we look at this command is the magnitude of it. And guys, can we just for a moment pause and marvel at the breadth of what God is saying here. He says, he could have just stopped, love the Lord your God. But he says, no, no, let me tell you how. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your, with all your, with all your soul. Sorry, soul. With all your mind. 
with all your strength. Is there any part of your life that he does not have dibs on? No. And I just sense God saying to us as a church, in all of us, he's saying, SBC, you are mine. You're mine. You're here for me. You're here for my pleasure. And I want all of you. And, and I, I believe God has given us three promised blessings as we give ourselves to him this year. There is a divine wisdom in this commandment that I never saw before, but I believe it's a prophetic word, a certain word for our church. It is this. The first thing that God is saying, SBC, if you will give your life, your soul, your strength, your mind to me, is it will make you a church of supreme balance. The danger for any church and any Christian, is to start entering into an imbalanced life. Can I explain how? Now, we're all wired very differently here, and that's important. But what can happen is when we think about this command and going, okay, God, I get it. I'm under, I'm, I belong to you. I'm giving myself to you. Some of us, and as churches, sometimes churches can start to head into too much heart. And you know what happens then? It's just wild emotion. I've been a part of a church like that. And what happens is everything's sentimental and everything is unstable because we just rush after whatever we feel the most excited about. Not so? And can I be honest? This is the most important out of the four. It starts with the heart, but the heart is never allowed to dominate because what happened in my Christian world growing up in a very exciting but very unstable sort of church environment is that it makes you all over the place. The second is, it, it guards against us becoming mainly or dominantly soul. A kind of church, the way that happens in is they're not saying, it's well with my soul. They say, is it well with my soul? It is this constant introspection. And everything is about, oh, how am I doing? Am I doing well? Am I navel-gazing? And I'm, everything is this internal assessment. Anybody can relate to that? I think I can, I can relate to that too. I think I've been through this quite a lot in my life. And that kills any sense of joy and freedom in a church. And can I say, as we journey this year, the thing that God wants to guard against us is us becoming so nitpicky about how well we're doing or how well we're not doing or whether it was perfect or not. Let me tell you, this introspection that can develop in a church, it can kill it. That's the second thing, guys. The third thing I guard against is, is us becoming all about the mind. And can I just caution us here, if I think about the spectrum of sterling and our strength, I would say God's caution to us this year is God against cold intellectualism. Understanding is not everything. It's a pathway to transformation. The fourth is this, and some of us are here too. And I think there's definitely seasons, so I'm trying to be fair, where we, we dip into these a bit too much. But the last one is when it's mainly about strength. That's when as a church we're saying, we've got to do this. Everything's about doing something. How hard am I working? Am I doing it? Am I... And it becomes a space of legalism. And I sense God's caution to us today is going, guys, when we respond in giving our lives to him this year, it is a fourfold entire response where we are leaning into loving God equally with our hearts, with our soul, with our mind, with our strength. And the way that happens, as we give ourselves to him in this way, all-consuming, 
totality, surrendered to him entirely, what happens is the heart keeps the hands in check. Suddenly, your heart's telling you, what are you going after in your life? Secondly, you'll find that the head keeps the heart in check, going, hey, what you believe needs to inform what you're feeling, SBC. And lastly, you'll find the hands keep the head in check. He's saying, am I applying and living out what God is saying to me? That is the crux of it all. And so can you see it? Sterling, if our hearts and our minds and our souls and our bodies are engaged in responding to what God... In other words, we're not leaving any part of our life aside. We're saying, God, this year I'm coming and bringing my whole life to you. He promises us the blessing of balance, of the sense of wholesome, mature, abundant life. The second great blessing I believe the Lord is promising us is this. Is in we, and when we look at this command, he wants us to see how impossible it is to keep. Can I just quickly point out to you what the requirement is for this command? He says, all your heart. In other words, our hearts are called to be fully absorbed in affection to God 100% throughout the day, throughout the year. Every part of our affection, every aspect of our heart is on him. All our souls, I'll read you what Spurgeon describes as your soul. Soul is the life in you. In other words, when your soul departs, your body dies, right? Spurgeon says it like this. He says, we need to reflect the martyrs in our willingness to be obedient in loving God with all of our soul, who rather than disobey God would be cast into the furnace or devoured by wild beasts. We must be ready to give up house, home, liberty, friends, comfort, joy, and life at the command of God, or else we have not carried out this commandment in full. Isn't that incredible? With all of our mind, which means every aspect of our thought life, every day, our meditation, our inclination in our mind, it's for God only. And the last is with all of our strength, every fiber of our being being devoted to his service. Can I ask, can anybody, complete, can, can anybody do that here? Anybody ever done that? Anybody? Anybody? The promise of God, the second is this, is as we pursue God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength this year, is he's going to do something very precious for you, SBC. It's going to drive you to Jesus. Because when you start to see the magnitude of what God is asking you and me in our, in our call upon our lives to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, he's saying, you're going to realize you can't do it, and it's going to drive you to the one the one that you are totally dependent on and the one that you need to glory in and live off and worship and consider precious, his name is Jesus. And friends, the danger of us as a church is when self-righteousness starts to creep in, what we lose is Christ. I'll put it to you today. If in your life Jesus and you are quite dry, it's because you've lost sight of your need for him. And what drives us to our need for Jesus is when we see how massive this command is and how much we need his grace to cover us as we seek to do it. Can I say to you today, this command exposes you and I as the greatest sinners on earth, not so? It humbles us. It shows us where our life is found. 
And I sense the Lord saying, what's going to keep us on our knees and keeping Christ central is when we understand the call and the need it creates in us to be totally dependent on Christ. And I sense for some of us here, the joy of this here that God has in store for you is a rekindled wonder and joy at your salvation. And I sense that that is one of the things God is wanting to restore in us is a church that is totally and utterly dependent upon Jesus. Christ alone fulfilled this command. And in our weakness, his strength was perfected by him keeping it perfectly. And then on the cross, he says, guys, my life for yours. You enjoy this fellowship with this God, loving him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength because you're coming in Christ. And my prayer for SBC and us as elders for you is that we would come back to a place of fresh wonder at Jesus. As a community, when people come in here, they recognize we're here for one reason, Christ, and we proclaim one thing, the gospel, because that's what we are totally dependent on as we seek to live out this command. But the third thing is this, and I, I really believe this is God's word for us as well, is the wisdom of pursuing this is we see that God's going to show us it is utterly supernatural. Who can love with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength? This love that God is, that Jesus is talking to us and saying, SPC, this is what I'm calling you to this year and until Jesus comes again, or I call you home. Can I say it is utterly divine? It is how Christ loved the Father on earth. And there is one thing, there is one thing that we are in danger of this year. And I just want to caution us because we preach a gospel of grace. But what that does in your heart and mind is when we see a command in Scripture, is the thing that runs through our mind is, is particularly when it looks very difficult, is subconsciously we say, oh good, I'm so glad God kept, Jesus kept that for me. I don't really have to bother too much because he did it. Not so, that's what we do. And when, we, when the command of Scripture comes to us, and that is right, Christ kept the command for us. He says, guys, you're enjoying the salvation by sheer grace through faith. Christ kept all the commands so that you can enjoy a position of security before the Father. Ah, oh, but does Christ leave us there? No, no. He's saying Christ is not excusing the command. He gives us something to help us live it out. He's called the helper. Anybody want to guess who that is? The Holy Spirit. Praise God. Let me tell you what this command God promises will do for us as we give ourselves to it as a church. It's going to make us so dependent on the Holy Spirit. It's going to let us tap into a divine power that makes us live way beyond where our weakness could ever take us. He's going to say, SPC, this year, if you will give yourself to this command, you will start to access the power of the Spirit. And let me tell you, you'll start to understand what it means to have my strength perfected in your weakness. Is that this salvation comes with security, but also power and ability. And I sense God saying, SBC, as I'm calling you into loving me with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it is a personal response, but it is also a corporate response. I'm going to do something special for you. I'm going to mature you into such a beautiful, wholesome, safe, stable, balanced, beautiful church. And I'm going to make you so in love with Jesus 
and I'm going to fill you with my spirit. But it comes, it comes from realizing the call on us as a church to love God with all our hearts, with all our soul, with all our strength. You ask me, you ask the eldership, what is SBC as a church? Who are we? What is the call in our lives to live out that? The second is, notice, I never saw this before. The scribe asks for one command. Jesus gives two. What's the second one? You shall. Don't you think that's amazing? Jesus knows the sneakiness of the human heart. Is there is a danger we get so wonderfully caught up with God. Oh, but it's just me and God. And we can kid ourselves as a church. Oh, man, it's wonderful to be so in love with God. But let me tell you, you can't kid yourself when there's Vickers in front of you and you don't really like what he's doing. I don't really know. I can't find a better example. I'm sorry. <laughs> I love you so much. I actually don't have it. It's irritating. Anybody want to give me an example what is difficult to love? I'll tell you mine this week. My little boy was sick, and he cried the whole night. And at 2 o'clock in the morning, when he was arching his back and saying, I almost said the bad word, get lost, I want to say to him, my boy, I'm going to leave you here. I'm going to close my door. I'm going to let you cry. And if you wake up in the morning, that's your business. I'm done. I'm done. And as I was doing that, I was thinking about my Father in heaven and going, Lord, how is it that this love that you call us to is so practical? So practical. It's not a super spiritual thing that locks us up in our quiet times, SBC. Locks us up in our prayer meetings or in our worship services. It's when we start entering into the world. Don't you think it's wonderful Jesus uses the word neighbor? Neighbor. He could have said your fellow humanity. He doesn't say that. What he does say is your neighbor. And what he implies is there is a connectedness. In other words, when we leave here and when we're in here, we're part of a fabric of society, not so? And we don't get to choose our neighbors. I'm sorry to say. I'll tell you a story about that in a moment. Can I say to us this morning, what God is saying to us as a church is this, is he has placed us in a fabric of society, in a community that you don't get to choose. You are naturally a part of. They are called your neighbors. I live in a complex. I have a neighbor. I see him maybe once every week going to his car, and I go, hello. I might not like him. He might not like me. I'm sure he doesn't like me. He hears my kids screaming all the time. But I will say this. Whether he likes it or not, I'm his neighbor. And can I say to us today, church, The whole notion of my love for God being lived out in isolation and involved in where I work, live, play, and worship is an absolute contradiction. It's a contradiction. And Jesus says to his church, he says, I'm deliberately upgrading this command for you, Christians. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. He says, 
in your community of neighborly love, when the world looks in, there is a commitment that goes beyond just loving yourself, being demonstrated in the way you love others. He's saying, I want you to love each other the way I loved you. Just think about that for a moment. The nature of this neighborly affection is God calls me to serve my fellow brother and sister in Christ as he served me. And there is an order. There's an order here. Is There is no relationship horizontally that trumps our relationship vertically. The first commandment is to love God. The second is, it's just a throwaway comment here. Everything else comes in submission to it. My last point this morning is this. There's another sneakiness to God's, or to our hearts. There's another moment when a scribe comes to Jesus and said, what's the greatest command? And Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and your strength, and you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. But he asks the question in Luke chapter 10, verse 29, who is my neighbor? In other words, Jesus said, well, Luke writes, he wanted to justify something in his life. He wanted to justify the closing of a ring in his life of his love to only include certain kinds of people. And can I just point out what God is going to push in us this year is how tight that ring is around our hearts because what he wants to do is he wants to smash it wide open. And you know the story he tells of what it looks like to love your neighbor? Who knows it? Come on, Joey. The good Samaritan. He picks the one person to this Jew boy who they hate each other. They can't stand each other. They look different. They believe different things. They have a different culture. They even have a different language. And you know what's amazing about this is that Jesus says, who's your neighbor in this story? It includes the widest circle of cultural differences, spiritual differences. And in the story, the Samaritan does something amazing. He shows, Jesus says, he shows this Jewish guy compassion, love. And he goes to this Jewish guy who gets beaten up on the side of the road. And what does he leverage? He leverages hospitality. And we're going to talk about that in a moment when we talk about what God's calling us to do. But I just want to point out how this person loves, how this Samaritan crosses the cultural divide with this Jewish guy. He's not close to home, so he can't open up his kitchen or his bedroom. But what he does do is he picks up this Jewish guy and goes to the closest place he can call Homer in. Can I say something powerful happens in that moment? It's for the first time this Jewish beaten up guy eats a meal with the Samaritan. And for the Jew, that was absolutely a no-go. And something breaks. There is something that happens in terms of the divide, a stereotype, a wall. In this moment, when this Samaritan brings him in, he only has a day because he has to carry on. He pays someone else. He outsources the hospitality after that. That's okay. But for him, for him, 
He understands that a part of my opening my heart to you is opening my home, my life, my time, my relationship, my proximity. It's not saying, Samaritan, standing on the side of the road and say, Jewish boy, come on, come follow me to my home. You come onto my turf. You come in to do it my way. No, he goes to the guy and he says, let me pick you up. Let me bind your wounds. Let me take you to a place where we can eat together, feast together, and dare I say, be friends together. Let me tell you, that Jewish guy called that Samaritan guy friend. I just sense for us this year, this loving our neighbor, it is a joy because we start to experience the way Christ loves us. Can I just share what downloaded into my heart last night as I was meditating on this? Christ Cross the divide of heaven to earth for me, for you. He died for me, a South African, though he was a Jew. And he gave me a seat at his table. And he called me friends, though I was a stranger and foreigner to his kingdom. Friends, this is the portrayal of the gospel. Is that this loving our neighbor drives us not just to love inward towards this community, Jesus says, even in our loving, it's so the world, the world can observe and experience, that's it, experience this gospel community touching their lives. And as Christ bridged the impossible divide of divinity and flesh, of heaven and earth, of culture, language, proximity and background, to rescue me and to rescue you, God is saying, would you let East London and the nations, however far that ring is calling you to go, let that be what is the taste of your life of the gospel to your neighbors around you. We can do nothing less. And so today, church, I want you to bring us back to what is the bullseye? What is our function here? Is it to sing great songs? We sing great songs. Is it to have great people? We have fantastic people. Is it to have beautiful buildings? We're about to have the best buildings, in my opinion, I've enjoyed ever. No. God's call to us is this, SBC. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And as you do that, you remember the call that this is to love your neighbor. And that, in particular, means your Christian brother and sister but it means that the circle in our heart is enlarged to understand that where God has put me in this fabric of society, there are these neighbors that the Lord is wanting to use us as a church to bring the flavor of the gospel, the hope of Christ, and a community that pictures crossing divides that proclaims a Christ that came and crossed the divide to get us into his kingdom. To love up, to love in, and to love out. Amen? Can we stand and let's pray together?
I just get this picture of Jesus covering us this year. And I just get a picture of, of Christ saying to us, Sterling, you are not called to be perfect. You're under me. You're my, I'm your covering. You're safe. And when you, you hear my voice, part of growing is messiness and tripping over and having a few falls. But I just feel the Lord is saying to us, I am your covering. You have, you have absolute security to bump your knee, to graze it, to laugh over how God is using us. And when we obey how that happens, I just sense Jesus saying, you're not required to be perfect. I'm that for you. I'm asking you for faith and obedience to go for it as I lead you. And I just feel the word from Christ for us is security. We are so secure. God will fulfill his word to his church. He will do it. And he's welcoming us to participate with the Spirit this year, knowing all of our weaknesses, but saying, I've got an adventure for you, Sterling. SBC, 8, 10, 6, Ridge. For you to enjoy, and you're going to laugh at yourself. Don't take yourself so seriously. SBC, don't take yourself so seriously. This year, look to me. Obey my voice. Keep going. You're secure in me. Father, we want to respond to that this morning by saying, in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls, in our body, Lord, we want to say, God, it is all for you. It's all for you. Lord, I pray that as this call of our Creator, as our, of our Father, comes to us this morning. I pray, Holy Spirit, would you just ignite in us a fresh clarity over every area of our lives of this call and a fresh joy to do it in the partnership of the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray right now for an openness to the Holy Spirit this year, that, God, you do not leave us as orphans. You don't do like the Pharisees and scribes that put heavy burdens on our shoulders and then not lift a finger to help us. No, no. My yoke is easy and my burden is light because we have the access of all the resources of heaven in the power of the Spirit. And we pray for that, Lord, as a church. Might you melt us afresh. Melt us afresh. Every part of our lives with this wonderful call to love up, to love in, to love out. We pray this in your precious and wonderful name. And all God's people said...